Welcome to Hey Siri, a podcast about psychology, relationships, and most importantly, piping hot tea. Sit down, take a sip, and remember to subscribe as resident pop culture expert Zochi and struggling PhD student Siri take you through the what, why, and how of relationship research and what that means for your non-scientifically researched relationships. All of this research is coming out all the time, but academic literature can be intimidating and difficult to connect to real life. So let us do it for you. Siri will tell us all about what research is taking the psychology world by storm. On today's episode, she will tell us all about staying playful in long-term relationships. How can we keep having fun? Why is it important? Does this mean we all need to get into RPGs? After hearing the research on how to keep relationships enjoyable and exciting, Zochi will tell Siri all about one of TV's most competitive and passionate couples, Brad and Jane Kirkovich-Williams. I'm really excited for this one. So as usual, we have our research portion first. And I found an article actually from September 2021. So we're going backwards a little. But there was like really no articles that came out this year on staying playful because we are almost at the end of April of 2022. (laughs) How are there not articles coming out this year about playfulness? But I'm so excited about the one that I did find because it uses the type of analysis and it's the type of research that I do. So it was both easier and harder to read and analyze. (laughs) (laughs) So the article that we are going to go over is called Revisiting Adult Playfulness and Relationship Satisfaction, APIM Analyses of Middle-Aged and Older Couples. It's by Kay Brower, Rebecca Sendatsky, Tiziana Scherer, Gary Chick, and Renee T. Proyer. And it was published in the International Journal of Applied Positive Psychology in September of 2021. So to start out with, according to past research, adult playfulness in romantic relationships is associated with feelings of intimacy, lessened instance of conflict, and enhanced communication. And there's like also a lot of other things, but it would have been a really long list if I'd put them all. <laughs> so it's, it's a really good thing. But playfulness in adults is different than playfulness in children. So I will give you the definition of adult playfulness, which is an individual differences variable that allows people to frame or reframe everyday situations in a way such that they experience them as entertaining and or intellectually stimulating and or personally interesting. So when it says individual differences variable, they mean it's a it's like a personal trait, right? So like part of your personality and you'll see variability in different people in a population. So just like fun. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But like (laughs) specifically being fun and I mean playful in a way that allows you to interpret the world around you in a really positive way. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like a personality trait. And in fact, I think they, they called it that. That influences the extent to which you display playful behavior, adapt to environmental changes, and find innovative ways to deal with situations. That does sound fun. I do like that. <laughs> yes. That sounds great. So the authors used this model of playfulness called the OLIW model. And according to this, there are four facets of adult playfulness. Other directed, 
which means using playfulness in social situations to solve tension. Lighthearted, which is a spontaneous view of life without thinking much of consequences of the behavior. Intellectual, which is enjoying play with new ideas and coming up with new solutions for intellectual problems. And whimsical, which refers to preferring odd or, or, or extraordinary things or people. I like that one. Yeah. So four facets all coming together to make up your overall playfulness or like tendency toward playfulness. So playfulness is important because it's directly related to the experience of positive emotions, especially joy, and it builds on itself. So being playful encourages feelings of joy and feelings of joy encourage playfulness. So it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> and being playful with someone else also indicates that you trust them and that you're looking to engage in pleasurable experiences with them and that you have the freedom to be yourself around them. They make you comfortable. Yeah. Exactly. You're comfortable. You can be goofy. You can, you know, do things without worrying about the consequences because mm -hmm. you're not being self-conscious. Love it. So in younger couples, previous research by these authors found that couple partners exhibit similar levels of playfulness and each partner's playfulness is related to relationship satisfaction. And we will go more into that a little later. <laughs> That's what the APIM part of this is. And we'll have to delve a little deeper into the statistical analysis than we have before. Heck yeah. So playfulness may also represent an evolutionary advantage that is prioritized in mate selection. So you know I'm not a big fan of evolutionary theory, but... I do, like, there's, there's parts of it that make sense, and assortative mating is one of them. According to the signal theory of play, in women, playfulness is an indicator of youth and good health, or good reproductive potential. And in men, playfulness signals that they're not aggressive, and so probably won't harm offspring. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then both men and women seem to place the same amount of importance on having a partner who's playful in general and this suggests that playfulness may be one factor in assortative mating which is this idea that you pick mates who are similar to you on characteristics that you value and since similarity is important to the stability of long-term relationships the authors expect that congruity so similar levels of playfulness between partners will be higher among older adults who have presumably been together longer and whose relationship has survived the test of time as compared to younger adults whose relationships might be new or short and they just haven't had maybe time to realize just how different they are. Right. So there do appear to be differences in playfulness as a function of age, such that older adults are less playful than younger adults and the relationship between playfulness and well-being is weaker for older adults. But these findings are kind of conflicting. So different studies have found slightly different things and they've measured slightly different constructs. And so the authors wanted to further clarify this by contrasting the results of a previous sample that they had of younger adults with this new sample of older adults. Mm -hmm. So very good research strategy good research that is interesting that they are able to do that 
Yeah, basically, I mean, and we'll get into this, but what they did is they had this this young adult sample and they did the study on that. And then they collected the older adult sample in the same way. And, you know, they, they use the same procedures and the same measures and the same analyses. So really, it's a really good comparison group. So the aims of the, the current study, the one we're going to talk about, were to determine the level of partner similarity on the four dimensions of playfulness and overall playfulness, so like the four dimensions like all together in older couples, to determine whether similarity in these dimensions and overall playfulness are associated with relationship satisfaction in this sample, and to examine actor and partner effects of playfulness. And we will go over what those mean. And then as I said before, they were comparing the results to the younger sample results. Right. So in total, they recruited 116 heterosexual couples, or 116 heterosexual couples completed this, the survey. The average relationship length was 28 years. God damn. And okay. I think the standard deviation was like 29. So long relationships. These really were like, Heck you know, yeah. older couples, long-term relationships. The average age of participants was 59 for men, 57 for women, with a total range of 43 to 92. 92? So middle age to older adults. 87% were married. 87% had children. One thing was that this sample did have a high level of education on average, so 57% had a university degree. Hmm. And they... I think, I don't remember if they mentioned this, but I feel like I remember reading that, like, being more educated was, is, like, positively related to relationship satisfaction and relationship longevity. Oh, wow. So we're kind of seeing that in action here. <laughs> yeah, that's something to, like, keep in mind for sure. Although, you know, it doesn't necessarily really, it doesn't really confound their, their analyses. So in terms of the measures they used, they had participants complete, so the research is recruited from the community via advertisements in doctor's offices, schools, fitness studios, dance schools, and adult education centers in Germany. So this is a German sample. They also asked psychology students to recruit older couples for course credit. So they really got a pretty good sample. Like I would expect the sample to be relatively representative just because of the range of areas where they got them and to be eligible for the study both couple partners needed to be 40 years old or older and both partners needed to complete the study Um, that's really important for the analytic plan so couple partners took the one-time study survey separately either using an online link or pen and paper booklets so the measures they used were the OLIW questionnaire which examines participants levels of playfulness across the four dimensions that I mentioned earlier which are other-directed, light-hearted, intellectual, and whimsical. They also completed the Relationship Quality Questionnaire, which looks at six facets of relationship satisfaction, fascination, engagement, sexuality, and future as positive, and mistrust and constraint as negative. And then the total score was used as an indicator of general relationship satisfaction. They also used the short relationship questionnaire to look at an additional three facets of relationship satisfaction, togetherness slash communication, tenderness, and disagreement, and to obtain an overall level of relationship happiness, which was just like one item, and I think it was like, how happy are you in your relationship? <laughs> Damn. 
That's always the most savage one I can tell. <laughs> so, okay, on to some of the more technical stuff. I don't know if we, I don't think we've talked about this before, but there's a special way to analyze data from couples. Like you can't just use like analyses that you would use otherwise because the data are coming from couples. And that's also why you need to have the same data. Like you need to have data from both couple partners on the same variables Mm -hmm. because, and I'm like trying to break this down. We view a dyad, so a couple, as consisting of an actor and that's the person whose outcomes we are assessing and the partner who is the partner of the person whose outcomes we are assessing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's generally assigned arbitrarily. So one is the actor, one is the partner. I'm not going to get into it fully, but actually technically every actor is also a partner and every partner is also an actor because you are examining each person. Right, because they're all in a couple. Right, exactly. But you're looking at those, you're looking at the processes separately for each person. So the effect of one person as an actor on their own outcomes and the effect of them as the partner to the partner's outcome. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So couple relationships are inherently highly interdependent. So each partner is going to exert influence on the other. And... That's So the way we account for this interdependence statistically is using an analysis technique called actor-partner interdependence models. These are still fairly new. I think maybe they, they're about 15 years old, but they're basically, we've accepted them as this is the way that you need to analyze couple data <laughs> when you're looking at couple processes, like relationship satisfaction. So with these APIM models, you can look at the contribution of the actor's own scores on a given variable to their own outcome. And we call that the actor effect. And you can also look at the contribution of their partner's scores on each variable to the actor's outcome. And we call that the partner effect. So if I were looking at Yuzoch and I was like, huh, I wonder how your own extrovertedness relates to your own relationship satisfaction that would Mm -hmm. be an actor effect and then i would want to look at oh how does your partner's extroversion relate to your Mm -hmm. your zoch relationship satisfaction that's the partner effect right okay so there's four in total for every well we only look at three so we look at actor effect on the actor's outcome and partner effect on the mm-hmm. actor's outcome. So we're never looking at the partner's outcome. Okay. We're just looking at how the partner affects the actor's outcome. And that way we actually will capture every single person because every person is also an actor. So I just want to bring this up because those are the words that we're going to be using when we look at the results. So results. <laughs> With regards to partner similarity, in the facets of playfulness, there were positive correlations between couple partners' levels of other-directed, light-hearted, and whimsical playfulness. So couple partners were more similar to one another to a significant amount on those facets, but there was no statistically significant association between couple partners on intellectual playfulness. Okay. Which... I don't know. I just find that interesting. Like on all of them except that one. 
Maybe because they're all like around the same level of education or intelligence. Oh, that's interesting. But shouldn't that mean that they're very similar in intellectual playfulness? Oh. But I wonder if the education does play into it somehow. Yeah, maybe, because... Hmm. Hmm. Well, they were also similar in their overall level of playfulness. So, like, all of those things together. And the older couples in the current sample were overall more homogamous in their playfulness similarity at the trait and overall levels as compared to the younger sample from the author's previous research. So when I say they, so they, when I say that they were more homogamous, it means just that there's less variability between couples in similarity mm -hmm. in the older sample, which we'll go over later is probably because the, <laughs> The couples that had more dissimilarity in the younger sample probably would have broken up by the time <laughs> they were older. I'm right. And so you're just left with these ones that are very similar in probably most, a lot of traits, one of them being playfulness. Now we know how important playfulness is of a trait. <laughs> well, we're going to see exactly how important it is. So. Interestingly, similarity in trait and overall playfulness levels between partners was not significantly related to relationship satisfaction, and this replicates results from the younger sample. So, I mean, that tells you one thing, right? You can be different from your partner in your levels of playfulness and your levels of the different facets of playfulness, and that seems to be fine. Mm -hmm. That's not going to affect your relationship. Because you're still playful. Probably because you're still playful. Because the next thing they did was look at associations between individual partners, playfulness, facet levels, and relationship satisfaction. So, with regards to other directed playfulness levels of both partners, there were not really any significant associations for men with regards to their own other directed playfulness and their own relationship outcomes. And this was different than the previous Amber sample where they did find associations. But women's own level of other directed playfulness positively predicted overall their own overall relationship satisfaction and all of its positive facets. So your level of other directed playfulness is how much you reach out in a playful way or conduct playfulness? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So men are like, I don't care if I need, to, I don't feel like I need to do that. And women are like, oh no, I, that's definitely important to me. Yeah, well, I mean, not even that it's important, but just that when they do it, it, it is associated with them being more happy in their relationship. Okay. And, and it's interesting that you say that about the men because there was the opposite partner effects. Mm -hmm. So with regards to partner effects, they found that male partners, other directed playfulness, didn't significantly relate to women's relationship satisfaction, except for a small negative association with women's happiness. Okay. So if you're a woman and your male partner is high in other directed playfulness, it's not going to do anything for your own relationship satisfaction, except it'll make you like a little bit more unhappy Damn. <laughs> or a little bit less happy. I should That's say. rough. But it was very small and that was the only thing. So like sometimes when you have results like that, it could just be a quirk of your sample. Mm -hmm. So, but 
female partner's other directed playfulness was positively related to men's scores on togetherness, tenderness, happiness, and sexual satisfaction, um, those facets of relationship satisfaction. So if you're a man, it's your, your female partner being having a lot of other directed playfulness does positively impact how happy you are with the relationship. Okay. And interestingly, those, those associations for men actually appear to be stronger in the current sample as compared to the younger sample. Oh, so they just, like, get more in their ways. They're like, this is right. Yeah, they, like, they, their wives being more playful in, in an other-directed way makes them more happy with the relationship as they get older. That's adorable. <laughs> I'm using causal language, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so with regards to lighthearted playfulness, there were no significant associations for men or women with regards to their own lighthearted playfulness and their own relationship satisfaction, which is in line with past results. But female partners' lighthearted playfulness was positively related to men's sense of togetherness and tenderness, and that's also in line with past results. So again, we're seeing that like, for men, their wives being playful is important to yeah. their relationship satisfaction. But it's not important for women, for their husbands necessarily to be playful in these ways. For their that relationship is very interesting to me. Yeah, yes. I know. So with regards to intellectual playfulness, Again, men's and women's own intellectual playfulness levels were unrelated to their own relationship satisfaction, except there was a positive association with engagement, which is one of the facets, I guess, of relationship satisfaction. This is consistent across gender and in line with past results. So for both men and women, if you are more intellectually playful, you will be more engaged with your relationship. But interestingly, and this was not observed in the younger couples, having a partner who was higher in intellectual playfulness was associated with your own sense of greater togetherness regardless of gender okay and i guess that could be related right to like if your partner is intellectually playful you're feeling like you're engaging with them more and figuring things out with them and maybe you'll feel more like you're more together yeah, that's with very them. securing okay you feel very secure yeah also men's intellectual playfulness was negatively associated with women's experiences of constraint. So women with more intellectually playful partners felt less constraint in their relationship. Could that be at all related to jealousy? What do you mean? I don't know. Maybe just like I see a lot in media it to the point I get the impression that maybe, you know, I don't know what I'm saying. Never mind. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. We're going to suck that right back into the old brain tank. Yeah, the gender differences are really interesting here. That and is we'll weird. talk about them a little more in, when we get to the end. So the last facet of playfulness was whimsical playfulness. And men's and women's own whimsical playfulness levels were not significantly related to their own relationship satisfaction. This, These results are discrepant from those in the younger sample. So it seems like in older couples more so than younger whimsical playfulness doesn't really play a role in relationship satisfaction or your own whimsical playfulness doesn't really play a role in your own satisfaction 
But for both men and women, having a partner who was high in whimsical playfulness predicted higher overall relationship satisfaction and higher togetherness and tenderness. And this was not found in the younger sample. Oh, okay. So it may be more important as you get older to have a partner who's still whimsically playful. And I find it interesting that that like increases tenderness. And I, for it feels right, right, that whimsical playfulness would increase that, and also togetherness. I guess just if you can be silly. Yeah, that's right, kind of a then... random category. How whimsical are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. So overall, you know, taking all this together, it does really seem like you know, your own playfulness does in some ways impact your own relationship satisfaction, but your partner's level of playfulness is also going to affect how, how satisfied you are at the relationship, how much togetherness you feel between the two of you and all that stuff. And the benefits of playfulness in both partners in relation to relationship satisfaction are consistent across age, basically. There's some differences and we'll talk a little bit about that, but it's good to be playful. And it's good to be playful no matter how old you are with your partner. So there were, so interestingly, there were many significant, many more significant gender differences in the associations between playfulness and relationship satisfaction in the younger sample. So this kind of suggested in the younger sample that men showed higher expressions of playfulness than women, but there were not that many gender differences in how much playfulness men and women partners, male and female partners exhibited in the older sample. Oh, okay. And it could be that you get less playful over time. It could be that women get more playful over time. It's not really clear, Hmm. but it does even out in terms of how much playfulness is being exhibited by male and female partners. That's interesting. Yeah. And I should say that, like, I should mention this. The the reason that the sample only looked at heterosexual partners um, is when you're conducting APIM analyses, I don't want to say it's impossible to include heterosexual and homosexual couples in the same analysis, it may be impossible or it may just be really hard Mm -hmm. because you need a distinguishing variable to be able to tell your couples apart right and if you can't like if you have a sample where you have a distinguishing variable for some and not for others that's gonna be a problem so yeah that might mess you up a little bit yeah that's why we're only looking at, at heterosexual partners here that makes sense Yeah, I mean, you can look at indistinguishable couples, so you can look at homosexual romantic couples and you just pick another distinguishing variable, but it needs to be consistent and it's, it's harder. So like, yeah, it's just harder. (laughs) So the older sample was higher in trait and overall playfulness similarity than the younger sample. And I think I mentioned that before. There was lower variability and similarity overall in the older sample compared to the younger sample. And You know, as mentioned previously, this could reflect what they called a relationship attrition effect, which is really funny to me. But basically, couples who are more similar stay together over time, and those who are more dissimilar break up before they get to 92. (laughs) Right. So 
you know, it may not be that similarity and playfulness specifically affects relationship satisfaction, but overall similarity does. Mm -hmm. And it reflects relationship stability or affects relationship stability. And then being playful with your partner affects relationship satisfaction. So you got to be playful and you got to be chill. (laughs) Well, I mean, because we talked about, I I think we talked about this in a previous podcast about how similarity in things that are important to you does predict relationship stability and longevity. And so what I would guess is if they only looked at the cup, if they took, if they asked couples like how important it is to for you to be playful and they only took the couples who were like yeah it's like super important to me <laughs> that they maybe would see that similarity positively affects relationship satisfaction right so just to kind of close out one thing that i thought was really interesting was in the younger sample well i shouldn't say that i should say other directed playfulness was more pronounced in women than in men in the older sample and older men displayed less other directed playfulness than younger men and if i'm remembering it correctly younger men actually displayed more other directed playfulness than younger women and this was interesting to me the author suggested that maybe there was socio like social norms associated with this like men may socialize less when they're older and have less opportunity for other directed playfulness or they may be more expected to act their age when they're older than women and to be like more serious right i can see that yeah i wasn't sure it was so interesting to me though that it like hmm because I wasn't sure, right, it's not clear whether men's levels of other directed playfulness just dropped below women's as they got older, or women's... Or if it just dropped. Or, or, or well, I'm thinking if it just, if it dropped, yes, if it just dropped, or if it dropped and women's other directed playfulness increased as they got older. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And then, oh, another thing that I thought was, I wondered if it was really, if, if, because I think, I think, like, assuming that women's other directed playfulness did increase as they got older, um, I wonder if that's because, like, when women are first in a relationship, like, they're subject to so much more scrutiny, right, about around how they act and, like, appearing attractive. And then also just, like, wanting to make sure that this person is safe like in a way that's like i feel like that's much more prevalent for women it's like much more of a concern and so i wondered if like yeah it was kind of part of letting their boundaries down with allowing themselves to be playful towards others and like specifically allowing themselves to be playful towards their partner whereas i feel like maybe younger men use other directed playfulness like yeah they basically just use it like it's a tool it's like you know, it's part of the way that they... It's flirting. Yeah, flirting, but also to show that they're, like, a fun guy, and then maybe they feel less less pressure to put that on as they get older, and they're in the relationship yeah. longer. Yeah. That would make sense. But, I mean, either way, playfulness is important. Men, stay playful. Women, keep doing your thing. 
<laughs> because obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, from what we saw, right, men are getting... We don't know how men are reacting to that. Well, men are... Men... The results really kind of showed, right, that women's own playfulness was good for them. And then for men, female partners' playfulness was good for them. So it's really, women are carrying this, okay? Like, they are really carrying the show here. Men need to be a little little more playful, please. <laughs> Ladies, stay playful. Men, step it up. Get it together. <laughs> Come on. Come on. So you can be silly later in life. It's fine. Exactly. Stay. Be silly. Stay silly. <laughs> Not as a friend. Just actually man. silly. Exactly. So, yeah. Playfulness is it's good. Important. Research supports it across the lifespan. Hell yes, we love that. <laughs> I think once again that ties in very neatly with our pop culture connection. It's almost like pop culture is reflecting innate innate understandings. That research is illuminating. <laughs> I think you're giving them a lot of credit. <laughs> You'll see why I have beef with this network after the end of this episode. Oh. But ABC, it's on site. It's on site, man. You hear me? All right. So, <laughs> what is Happy Endings? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Happy Endings is a sitcom that first aired on ABC. In April 12, uh, oh god, in April 2012, and it ended in May 2013. Does that seem short to you? It was. Oh no, that is short. I didn't know it was that short. <gasps> the show was created by David Caspi, who along with Jonathan Groff, previously a showrunner on Scrubs, also a friend of this show, served as the show's executive <laughs> producers and showrunners. This show was done so dirty by its network, it was an amazing gem of TV, and no one at the network was sure that it was going to be a success, and so they pretty much set it for failure. It was awful. That sounds like me. Like, I'm not sure I'm going to be a success, so I'm just going to set myself <laughs> up for failure. <laughs> so what happened was, it was originally aired as a mid-season replacement, meaning the network had an open slot for a new show that would premiere pretty much in the middle of other show seasons. So you know how most shows, like, come back in fall... Then they have, like, a break around the winter time, and then they come back until... Yeah, I don't understand why television shows get, like, a summer break, <laughs> and I don't. There are different it shows that go on unfair. during the summer. Not the ones I That's like. They all suck, <laughs> and they're weird. So, according to TVTropes.org, the mid-season replacement is typically a show network execs don't consider strong enough to premiere at the beginning of a season, but is held in reserve for a premiere later when time slots are needed to be filled after another show has gone belly up. Since the mid-season replacement is considered to be a weaker show than what the network was originally hoping for, expectations aren't often very high. It makes me furious. It makes me furious. So, Happy Endings was an amazing show, but it was also pretty niche at the time, and the network kind of fulfilled their own prophecy by burying its schedule and not doing much in terms of promotion and ads, so when its ratings were low for the first two seasons, they kind of went, see, we knew it wasn't a good show, and they fucked up the schedule for season three and canceled it due to low ratings. That's kind of like the opposite of like the shows that like are regular premieres and that they really want to succeed, and like the ratings go down, and then they're like, we can save it. And then the ratings go down. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is fine. I can't even think of an example of one of those right now. But it's, it's just like these Scrubs. shows. The final seasons, definitely. But the Scrubs, Scrubs started out really good. 
No, I know, but the ratings went down, and they were like, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, it's just bad new characters. We're just going to send her to med school. It's all good. <laughs> In fact, according to Vulture, ABC's erratic scheduling of the third season, perhaps causing the season's lower ratings and subsequent cancellation, was one of the worst TV decisions of the 2012-13 to 13 television season. Oof. That, just so you know, is exactly how I feel about that decision. <laughs> Did you did you actually write that and you just don't? Know? <laughs> I wrote it in Vulture. I was like, can you guys please put this somewhere so I can quote it? Now that I've defended its unjust early cancellation, I can actually tell you about the show because it's so upsetting that it's only three seasons and the first season is only like thirteen episodes long. Like, there's just not enough of this show. We'll never get enough of it. Happy Endings follows the dysfunctional adventures of six best friends living in Chicago. Crazy in Love married couple, business overachiever Brad, played by Damon Waynes Jr., and his neurotic perfectionist wife, Jane, played by Eliza Koo, Ditsy Alex, played by Alicia Cuthbert, a happy-go-lucky boutique owner and Jane's younger sister, a daydreamer, Oh my god, Dave. how did I not know that they were sisters? What? That's like the, one of the largest uh, parts of their characters. I just did not pick up on it. I this is... That this is, is so not good. What other social cues have I not been oh picking my, up? Oh my, they have the same last name. <gasps> That's, there's common last names out there. Kirkovich? Okay, well. <laughs> Daydreamer Dave, played by Zachary Knighton, an aspiring restaurateur and food truck owner. Slacker Manchild Max, played by Adam Pally, who struggles to hold a job and maintain a consistent relationship. And outgoing party girl Penny, played by Casey Wilson, a serial dater on an internal search for Mr. Wright. This is, like, one of the hardest-hitting comedy lineups. All of these people are incredible and so, so funny. Yeah. God, I hate that they canceled this show. The series begins with the wedding of Dave and Alex, which comes to an abrupt halt when Alex leaves Dave at the altar. The six friends must cope with a sudden change in the group dynamic as Dave and Alex mourn their relationship, and the rest of the group try to preserve their friendship. Dave and Alex decide to stay friends, but there are many more complications down the road. We, of course, will be focusing on the relationship between Brad and Jane. That sounds like us. Yep. We mostly do the main characters, but every now and then you just gotta... We could we try to do... We mostly do the main characters. We did. Yeah. Does Kirk... I mean, does Turk count as a main character? Oh, I guess Turk and Carlo was a little different, because the main relationship of that would probably be Elliot and JD. My mind is blanking. I can't remember. Yeah, no, other than that, we pretty much covered Mary. Yeah. Dave and Alex would make me too frustrated, to be honest. Yeah. So, that's all I'll say about those two. (laughs) (laughs) Who is Jane Kirkovich? First of all, Jane's name is technically hyphenated, so she is Jane Kirkovich Williams, but she comes from a long line of strong Kirkoviches, and her family has a huge influence on her character, and she and her sister often refer to herself as just Kirkovich. Also, the Happy Endings wiki has her official name as Jane Williams, which offended me, so I had to make it just Jane Kirkovich. kind of... Oh, Lord, it's been a long day. Woman-hating. What's the official term? Thank you, Jesus. It is. I no, promise I that I... I English English degree huh so no also I feel like it is pretty misogynistic because like Kirkovich is the first part of her last name so they were really intentionally I know okay wait this just made me think of something when two people hyphenate their name they have to decide which name goes first yeah but like what if 
when you hyphenated your name, your name just always came first. And then every couple with a hyphenated last name, they'd be opposites in their last name. Oh my god, actually, that would be kind of fun. I know. So you know who's is whose. Exactly. I kind of love that. I was actually surprised that Brad didn't take Kirkovich. His last name is not hyphenated. Really? But they but he calls their household the Kirkovich Williams household. Oh, well, okay. I'm not saying well, no, actually I will say this. Changing your name is really hard. <laughs> I don't <laughs> he was know too lazy because I would never have gone through it. But Pace did. My husband. And Pace Wilder. Um, it sounded like a nightmare and he's still like trying to get documents changed. Oh my god. So yeah. that I can Maybe see part of it. It's just like if you don't yeah. change one document, right, then your name is still technically right. Your and old Jane name. is definitely the type to be on top of that kind of thing, and Brad right. is definitely not the type. To exactly. Be on top of that kind of That's thing. what I'm thinking is maybe he just like didn't sign one document. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Jane is a strong-willed, competitive, organized, and passionate person who begins the series married to Brad and also ends the series married to Brad. I don't know why I phrased it that way. They stay married. <laughs> Is there a gap in their marriage in the middle? <laughs> Absolutely not. This is not Marshall and Lily. Hey. Um, but she is an ambiguous. Wait, but- did we do? Am I am I going crazy? Did we do? No, we, we wouldn't. We hate that show. And also we hate that couple and those characters. Oh, but it would be so fun to criti- like criticize. I was going to say critique, but let's be honest here. Well, we have kind of a killer final one, so we can't change anything now. We may need to come back to this. <laughs> Because I, I would I would be happy to because I fucking, I don't understand why they get so much hype. I think that couple is awful. I would love to run through all of the dysfunctions in their relationship. <laughs> oh my god, it was <laughs> awful. And I hate Lily as a person. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, so she has a high-paying job because, of course, she has to because they live, live like a really nice lifestyle in Chicago. So they had to give her a very high-paying job. <laughs> In season three, she takes another even higher paying job after impressing an uber successful car salesman, the car czar, with her negotiating skills. Although she lives a hyper-organized and high-standard lifestyle now, this wasn't always the case, and we see several flashbacks and references throughout the series to her days as a party girl. I would also like to point out that Jane is bisexual. And I love that about her. And I think she's got great bi representation, and she, I don't think they ever say the word bisexual, which is a pet peeve of mine. Um, right. But wait, no, I kind of like that though because it's well, okay. I like that they didn't have her come out. I really, I, yeah, I just, I did like that they didn't have her come out, and I thought it was a funny misunderstanding. I do hate that there's such a vibe in like bisexual representation on TV where like they either use the word bi curious and then like fluid or loose or just like not uncaring or something for the rest of them and it's just like oh god and that was also an issue i had with lily this is this is so difficult for me because i said that so okay like not personally like it weighs on me but like um it's just it's interesting to me and i don't know how to reconcile it because there's a lot of evidence and actually have you heard of um lisa diamond no. Oh, yeah. She does Love a lot of name. TED Talks. But she's, like, a really prominent researcher when it comes to female sexuality. Like, really, like, she, like the female sexuality researcher. And I don't know if there's an equivalent to her for male sexuality, which is just men letting down Joe men. Rogan. But, like, she has found in decades of research that female sexuality is much more fluid 
than we ever thought it would that it was and basically she falls i would say she's even more i don't want to say progressive but like her views are even further than kinsey's in that she really really believes that most women are bisexual and that that is kind of the majority of normative sexual development that we see of course all sexual development is normative but like this is the most common right we see is that actually most women sexuality is very fluid and so i i struggle i i think in our society it's still really important to use the term bisexual but then i'm also like will we get to the point where this is considered normative right this is considered like this is the common state i don't want to say this in a way that's like offensive I think yes. I don't think we're there like, yet. I, like I think like we're a, still in an era where it's like bisexuality is not real. You're either just straight and pretending, or you're gay and you're pretending. Right. And yeah, so that's I think what I'm at this saying. Like I think time, socially, yeah, it's important socially. to be like actually, she genuinely forms. And it, 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 you know, we'll go into we get into the episode a little bit later in this, in this uh, document. But during the episode, what makes Brad jealous? about her ex Ryan who's a lady is that he finds out that their relationship was actually like really serious and they were like in love with each other and he's like I thought y'all were just having some sexy hookup and it was a fun fling and the fact that you actually had deep emotional feelings for another person uh I don't like it <laughs> Wait, that is interesting because like I think we've talked about no maybe we haven't we've talked about the Sophie's Choice paradigm from David Buss no okay um bus is i know we've talked about him before because i brought him up when we talked about evolutionary psych he's like really prominent in the field of evolutionary psych like really prominent comes to relationships and he's like not that great a guy um but he is a good researcher Hmm. and he was interested in in how evolutionary adaptations in men versus women because a lot of evolutionary theory is like looking at gender differences affect men and women's perceptions of infidelity and like the primary result of his study and i don't remember when it came out like it's not that old but like not super recent was he asked men and women the same question he asked them to imagine themselves in two different scenarios one in which they found out and i'm paraphrasing here that their committed romantic partner like serious romantic partner had slept with someone else had had sexual intercourse with someone else like had a sexual relationship right not just a one-time thing and the the other scenario that they had to imagine was that their committed romantic partner had had an emotional like emotionally romantic relationship with someone else and was committed and he asked them to choose which one made them feel worse. Mm, they're both bad. And what Don't he found both. was that men felt worse when they found out that they're when they or when they imagined their romantic partner having a sexual committed sexual relationship with someone else, and women felt worse when they imagined their partner having a committed emotional relationship with someone else. And he said that this was because, you know, evolutionarily, men wouldn't be able to tell whether their offspring was theirs. And for women, they, it would make them feel like their mate wasn't committed to them and wouldn't take care of their children. But it's just interesting to me because I, al- I always have wondered whether some of that was socialization and men being socialized to believe that, you know, the worst thing is a woman 
sexually cheating and women being socialized believe that emotional cheating is worse because I feel like if you really come down to it both are very hurtful and I really think that there's a lot of individual variability in which would hurt people more yeah and past experience and yeah yes and like their socio-sexual orientation like how permissive they are of sexual activity I just feel like there's a lot of factors and that's one of the problems of evolutionary theory is it doesn't consider all of these other factors but anyway that just made me think of like he was like really upset that it was a committed emotional no that is very interesting that is interesting yeah but yeah so uh she never really comes out on the show and her husband brad finds out on the show but she sort of it's kind of like played like she assumed that everyone knew and the only reason that they were confused it seems was because of the gender neutral names of the majority of her past partners and I actually went and watched the episode and grabbed a few of the names because I was like, I feel like they were really funny. And they are. They're Sydney, Tracy, Jordan, Lane, Morgan. <laughs> okay, There's as a we few talked more. about whether people go for partners with similar names. Oh, are you talking about Lane? Well, no, I'm, th- I'm thinking about that. But then also, like, I wonder if, like, you tend towards partners who all have similar names. Like, if you... If you date a Jake, maybe you're more likely to date a John or, like, a Jack later. <laughs> Does that oh. make sense? So she's more... That's funny because she's more likely to date gender-neutral right. names, but Brad Ooh, that is, is not a gender-neutral name. Yes. Hmm. Another name-related fun fact. Also, who is Brad Williams? I'm about to tell you. <laughs> Brad's name is short for Bradford. It's not. Which is our dad's that's, name. Yeah. What? That is funny. It's Brad Ford. I thought it was Brad Lee. Usually he's, it is Brad Lee. similar to our dad, too. He is very... Actually, I can see that, and I can see ways that Jane is like our mom. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is so funny. I don't want to get all Freud with this, but this is, like, a, a, this is so funny. It's not just that we're seeing these characteristics in these people because our parents, like, actually our parents are like these people. Like They actually are. Like, Jane is definitely <laughs> the type of person to tell someone to smarten up and or unfuck themselves, and that is something that our mom says a lot. <laughs> oh my god we don't mean to get personal here but like <laughs> also we do you hear so more funny. about brad he's a lot like our dad <laughs> brad is a goofy competitive compassionate and heartbreaking person he likes video games basketball bubble baths and fancy candles and describes his perfect night as hanging out at home watching tv eating chinese food and having unprotected sex with his smoking hot wife <laughs> thanks brad <laughs> In the beginning of the series, he works at one of Chicago's largest investment firms, but after he gets fired when his department is eliminated, he loses a sense of purpose for a while before finding work at a children's gym called Chuckles and Hugs. Oh, Lord, that sounds like... It sounds like it could be bad. It's, I don't it's, like that name at all. It's an interesting one. And the guy who runs it and his ex-partner who opened it with him who died um and may still be inside of the gym somehow we never get like word on that this this series is just so good like i still think that superstore is one of the best executed television shows of all time but if they had given happy endings the six seasons that superstore got it would have been right up there did we do a superstore episode Dude, we need to do another TV season. Are you joking my ass? We didn't do Amy and Jonah. We literally need to do another TV series. Because I just, like, was thinking... What, we're going to do working together a third time? God damn it. No, 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 no. We need to do one about um, keeping the mystery in relationships. Oh, shit. Amy and... Oh, we have to do Amy and Jonah. Yeah. (laughs) Or we could do moving, like transitionings. 
in America. Oh, yeah, moving. Oh, geographic moves. Because they moved from St. Louis, Missouri to L.A. I mean, also, we haven't done step parenting. Oh, God. (gasps) Wait. Oh, my God. We have to do Amy and Joan and step parenting. How did we plan this season so badly? This season is going to be like 20 episodes. I'm sorry, guys. This season is not going to be 10 episodes. I lied. We cannot stop. So we need to push our our big old finale then because we that needs because that's the best one we're gonna do. It's gonna it's gonna be and we're still keeping it a secret, is why I'm not saying it on the air. (laughs) Anyway, so we find out after that whole job debacle that having a job and working has a huge influence on Brad's self perception and that his time unemployed in between seasons two and three was the first time he hasn't had a job since he was 12 years old and worked at the local grocery store. It's okay to have things that are really important to you. Yeah, it's very important to him. I can see why I have I can see why your job is something that's very important to you. My job is also very important to me. My job is important to me. I won't even just <laughs> It's fine. I like my job. So how do they get <laughs> No, together? I do love my job. You, you love your job. You hate your students. Tee-hee. It's, it's I'll cut that no, out. No, I love my students. I'll cut I that out. No, I love my students. It's just, it's not even my, my students, if you're listening, you are wonderful and you are not what's difficult about my job. Siri complains Research. to me about you after work. No, I don't. She's <laughs> <laughs> So how did they get together? Brad and Jane met after college. Brad was on the NTV show Real World Chicago. Siri, do you know what Real World is? No. Okay, they get a bunch of people in a house. It's kind of like Big Brother. It's not on MTV now because I would know because I watched all of the Teen Moms on MTV. I think I watched TLC. I watched TLC for Young and Pregnant. Okay, that's where I was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so I'm back on track now. Um, by the way, Casey Wilson, who plays Penny, that's right up her alley. She runs a Real Housewives podcast, actually. Oh, yeah, I remember that from her book. Shout out to Casey Wilson. Casey Wilson, I'm obsessed with you. you if you ever hear podcast, this podcast. Please? We should be besties. Um, <laughs> not to be weird, but your family is like our family, if you know what I mean. And you do. You do no, know what gonna, I mean by that. Be weird, so. <laughs> Just a I mean. warning. I love you. Casey, sorry. <laughs> I, I won't kill you. I love you. You know, because that's normally how these things go, I feel like. Not with female fans of female celebrities. Oh. It's just when men get involved. Oh, I feel like you're I'm safe, so girl. This episode, but you're like, safe. To, like, to be real. <laughs> just, just, you know, just statistically, okay? Yeah. Facts don't care about your feelings, men. All right? We're just stating <laughs> facts, okay? Please direct all your angry letters to Joe Rogan. Thank you. So, they met on the real world of Chicago. What the real world is, as far as I know, is they, I know there used to be a real world Seattle, which is hilarious. I would love to see that. They get a oh, bunch of people in a no, city. No, I remember because, because in 10 things I hate about you. on the show that we're going to watch in our final episode one of the characters had applied to real world seattle i didn't know what it was but now this makes sense that's so funny right okay so they get a bunch of people from the city i think and they put them in a house big brother style and then they watch them oh my goodness that could be either really boring or really interesting uh in canonically in the happy endings their season of mtv never aired because one of the contestants went crazy and burned down the house Oh my god. <laughs> so it's very funny. But um, I just love their connection to MTV Real World. And at one point, they literally mentioned, they're like, oh yeah, we all met on MTV Real World. Why do we never talk about that? 
This is so random. Anyway, so they met on, uh, Brad was on the MTV show Real World Chicago, and Jane was friends with another contestant's girlfriend, that was Max and Penny, and she met Brad while staying in the house the contestants were sharing for a few days. We find out through unaired footage of Real World in the season three episode, More Like Stanksgiving, that Brad was initially put off by Jane's tenacity and inflexibility, and even found her somewhat annoying. In a Talking Head interview, he refers to her as Kirk a bitch, and President Jane, present day Jane is furious. Although, Max rightfully points out, is that the first time you've gotten Kirk a bitch, Jane? Because if so, <laughs> they're just missing out. I mean, there's also Jerkovich so and like, all, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, anyway, it doesn't help. <laughs> She's still mad. So Brad tries to explain that he was young and stupid and didn't know how amazing she was and that it was just a first impression, but Jane is obviously so upset and tells him, you know what my first impression of you was? My first impression of you was, here's the man I want to spend the rest of my life with and no one else. Oh. <laughs> so brutal. They keep watching the footage and we see a drunk Jane unsubtly sneaking into a cast member's bed after everyone's gone to sleep. But although she ends up in Brad's bed, she was actually looking for, and calling for in a loud whisper, Jared, another contestant. <laughs> Brad is woken up by Jane. She realizes she's in the wrong bed, but they both just go, eh, and go for it. Not as romantic <laughs> as the story we'd been hearing for pretty much the whole show at that point, because this did take place in season three, this flashback. <laughs> but amazing, and it's definitely in character for both of them. I love them for that. They begin the series preparing to have their first child, but after Jane's sister Alex calls off her wedding with their childhood friend Dave, Jane panics at the prospect of her and Brad moving on to the next phase of their lives alone, and they agree to push their plan a few years off. Season 1 was, in true ABC hating happy endings fashion, released out of order. That's weird. This was apparently to make them feel more standalone and get people more invested in the show, but what it actually does is make the beginning of the show and people's relationships and life plans very confusing. I remember the the first season, like the first few episodes being very confusing. I, they did not want this show to be successful. And the fact that it was still as successful as it was and as good as it is now, like it holds up. It's still so funny and amazing. And people are still watching it and discovering it on like Netflix and Hulu. Like... Yeah. It just shows how good it is because they really, really did not want this to work out. Yeah. That is TV suicide. And I don't know why they still stream the episodes out of order. For the life of me, I can't figure out what the right order for them is. So anyway, I'm just warning y'all that that's why I literally had to just take individual... Also, it's a, it's a very determined ensemble show they were so incredibly determined to not let any of the characters be the quote-unquote main characters that yeah. all of their storylines are kind of like spread across so i really had to do individual episodes <laughs> this <laughs> this 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 time <laughs> so here we go it's a little funky brad and jane don't have much to do as a couple during this time anyway they mostly just serve as the healthy married couple of their friend group but we do get to know a bit a bit of them better individually like in the episode of Mice and Jazz Kwondo, where Penny invites Jane to a self-defense class she's been taking, and we see how intense Jane's competitive nature can be when she beats up Penny and shoots her several times with a fake gun. Hasn't that happened to all of us? <laughs> that is hilarious, and for some reason it seems like something that would happen to you and me, 
where I'm like, Siri, yeah. come to this, I think it was Krav Maga, or she's like, come to this Krav Maga class with me, it'll be super fun, and you're like, oh my god, that sounds great, I do yoga on the weekends, and I'm like, teehee, this will be so fun, I've been taking this class for so long, and you get in there, and you absolute beast out on every single person, and then you just, oh my god, it's just so... No, that would be funny, but we actually know in real life that you would absolutely beat me because <laughs> we know from your wrestling career that you are unstoppable. <laughs> it was a very funny episode. I seriously, if anyone has not seen this show, you have to. It's so good. Anyway, and in the episode, like, Father Like Gun, we meet Brad's dad and we find out that they have a strained relationship due to his dad's emotional stonewalling. And that his dad has never said I love you to him. That is strange. Isn't that something that would kind of mess you up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brad's, like, well into his 30s. That's crazy. I, mean, I know there are, like, families out there that are like that. Like, I don't know how that affects their emotional processing or functioning. I don't know. I feel like it wouldn't be great. Mm-mm. But, like, we're also, like, in a family where we say, like, I love you when we leave the room. So <laughs> that is maybe true. our view is a little <laughs> skewed. <laughs> in the episode, Your Couple's Friends and Neighbors, Jane worries that she and Brad don't have any sophisticated couple friends and tries to set them up with a couple she works with, Carl and Diane. Brad is hesitant at first as he and Carl don't really seem to connect, but after hearing about he and Diane struggle with overseas adoption from Jane after their first hangout, he tries his best to connect with Carl, and when he sees him again, he assures him that if he ever needs to talk to a friend, that he can call Brad. So this setup was a little confusing, I realized. So what happened is, Jane worries that they don't have any sophisticated friends. She has this friend at work, Diane, who's like, you should be couples friends with me and my husband. And for some reason, Jane and Diane go get drinks and hang out, and Brad and Carl go get drinks and hang out. Okay. And then Jane and Brad get back together and supposedly Diane and Carl get back together in their own homes and Jane's like how was it and Brad is like it's great we talked about like you know stuff and she was like oh did they tell you about like the adoption that fell through that was like super traumatic for the two of them that they've been trying for years after infertility and he was like uh we actually mostly talked <laughs> about like up. beer so <laughs> anyway so he later talks to Carl again and is like, hey, my wife, let me know about the whole thing. If you ever want to talk to me, um, I'm here, buddy. And mm -hmm. Carl is like, oh, dude, thanks. That's so sweet of you. Also, you know, my wife let me know the struggles that you and Jane are having, you know, the couples counseling. So if you ever need to talk to anyone about that, you know, just let me know. And Brad's like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Thanks for sure. What? Because <laughs> um, he and Jane have never been into couples counseling. And as far as he knows... There are no troubles in their marriage. Well, he, he has a trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes home. Yeah. <laughs> he confronts Jane about what Carla told him, and she reveals that not only had she made up troubles in their marriage to try and make Diane feel better about the failed adoption, <laughs> she has also attended several couples counseling sessions by herself to check up on their marriage. Without having... The spouse there. Yes. Who is she, she checking up on their marriage So with? she basically just lays out how their marriage is going to the couple's counselor. It's like, does this sound good? This sound that like it's going well? not where couple's counseling is. Yeah, and uh, I think that's what the therapist said. <laughs> Again, like with couple's research, couple's counseling actually needs to involve both partners. That's so funny. <laughs> that's just such a funny 
concept to me. <laughs> Going to couples counseling alone, just in case. You know, we really want to get a jump on anything. <laughs> so Brad asks her why she would do that. And she tells him that she has trouble getting him to open up emotionally, both with her and with other people. He agrees that he'll be more open about his emotions, but asks that certain things stay between them as a couple, and they make up. And I can definitely see Brad being a little more emotionally closed, given his relationship with his father. Although we later find out that Jane has, also has a pretty strained relationship with a stoic father. So, maybe, you know. Mm. Yeah. They make up, it's all good. Yeah. In the beginning of season two, we find out that Jane had donated an egg in college to pay for a spring break to, Co spring break trip to Cabo. And after an offhand comment from Brad, Jane becomes consumed with the idea that her child is out there somewhere and she needs to make sure that she's doing okay. <laughs> and I will say hmm. the offhand comment from Brad was basically like, oh, that's really cool of you to do because I don't think I could ever do that just knowing that like somewhere out there there's like a kid with half of my DNA in it, you know? And then all of a sudden she's like, as if she'd never realized that that was what donating an egg meant. <laughs> she was like, oh no, my child is out there somewhere. Sometimes things don't hit you until later. Honestly, that begged the question where I was like, what did you think you were doing? It's so abstract in the moment. <laughs> it's like, yes, here, have this egg. Bye. Now I'll go to Cabo. <laughs> exactly. After finding the family she donated to and seeing that they live nearby, she takes Brad and they drive in front of the house and see a young girl leaving for school. And Jane tells Brad that she's comforted that she is healthy, living in a nice home, and adorable. And Brad assures her that her eggs couldn't possibly make any other kind of kid. It's like a really cute moment where she was like, I don't know, I just wanted to go see if my kid was a troll or something. And he was like, ah, sorry, it was cute. <laughs> no, yeah, it's cute. I'd have a kid with her. you. Yeah. Based on that <laughs> blueprint, that's great. They begin to drive away, but further down the block, Jane sees the girl take off the sweater and leggings she said goodbye to her parents in and change into a crop top and miniskirt. Jane worries that she's making bad decisions, and after dropping off Brad and promising that she'll never see this girl again, she goes to her school to try and offer helpful advice. Checks out. Yep. That's exactly what I would do. Mm-hmm. It's logical. She gets caught by the school staff, and when the girl's mom comes to pick her up, she takes Jane aside to talk to her. Jane explains that she started feeling this biological maternal instinct and thought her daughter was going down a bad path. But the mother cuts her off and explains that they didn't use Jane's egg after receiving an unsolicited, unsolicited follow-up video from, from Jane exploring how she thought the child should be raised. <laughs> and actually, I rewatched the episode, and it was like multiple long-form unsolicited follow-up donor videos being like, okay... Now that you've accepted my profile, let's talk about education. It's very important to me. Starting in preschool. All right. Like, it's it's honestly unhinged. And it's so funny to me. That it's so Jane. Where she's yeah. like, all right, we're all in this together, parents. Let's go. Let's raise this baby. Let's figure this out. So the mom explains that from the video, she thought that if she used her egg, Jane might do something crazy. Like, turn up 13 years later and try to kidnap her child. <laughs> foresight <laughs> oh it's so funny if anyone hasn't seen this show i swear to god abc it's on site jane apologizes and goes to brad and her friends to explain what happened and says she's worried her obsessiveness will make her a horrible mother brad points out how crazy she went for a child that wasn't even hers and he and the rest of the group comfort her about her parenting skills <laughs> that's actually a good point it's like you saw this 13 year old wearing a crop top against her parents wishes and you were like hey 
fake bio baby take responsibility say something (laughs) say something you know, follow that child to her school and then try and like lure her over you to you. literally just say something. Don't do anything else. I mean, you know her parents. <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. In the episode Lying Around, Brad is reminded that Jane is inviting over her sorority sister Sarah for her yearly visit and realizes he hasn't done what he normally does plan a business trip or boys' trip that coincidentally takes place at the same time as Sarah's stay. He panics because he finds a lot of Sarah's qualities frustrating and doesn't feel included in many parts of their friendship, like performing their school song, which is apparently something you do when you are in a sorority. I don't know. I've never been in one. Don't ask me. They do it, so, uh, okay. He, (laughs) He lies to Jane and tells her he's unfortunately going to be out of town for a conference and won't get to see Sarah this time, and she says she's sorry for him missing out on all the fun spa treatments she booked for them, but she doesn't seem to mind at all. Which, like, how could you mind? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to leave you and your friend alone to enjoy all this fun food and spa stuff that you got. <laughs> and I have to go do work. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, that sucks. After Brad is already on his business trip, he gets caught by Max and explains to him the situation, along with asking a favor for Max to sneak into Brad and Jane's apartment and get Brad's sleep apnea machine. Max agrees and finds out while he's in the apartment that Sarah had canceled her trip at the last minute and Jane was hanging out alone and enjoying all the nice things she got for the trip. That sounds like literal heaven. Exactly! Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. You end up accidentally getting the house all to yourself and you have all of these, like, candles and... Oh, man. And you know Jane. She went all out for this. It was beautiful. She hired a masseur. Oh, my God. She, uh, oh, he gets out successfully the first time, but gets caught when he has to return for the regulator, and Jane gets him to confess that Brad is staying in a hotel downtown and lying about a business trip because he can't stand Sarah. She sends Max away and calls Brad angrily, but after looking around and realizing what a good time she'd been having at her at-home spa, she changes her mind and tells him that she hopes she's having a great time at the conference and that she and Sarah are having a great time. That's the way to do it. <laughs> Brad ends up befriending a weatherman staying at the hotel and tells him about his hotel staycation. But after the weatherman tells him that it seems like their marriage might be in trouble if they're lying to get away from each other, Brad rushes home to confess to Jane and finds her getting a massage alone. She reveals that Sarah canceled, but she was having so much fun with her staycation that she didn't tell him. And he reveals that he had lied to have a staycation as well and asks her if she thinks that that means uh, that they're in trouble. She says it's fine to need some alone time to relax and decompress and says they should both start taking staycations. Brad agrees, and they enjoy the rest of their staycation together. Yeah, I get that. It is, like, really important to have your alone time when you live with someone 24-7. And honestly, I think it's more like Brad didn't want to hurt Jane's feelings, because honestly, it's fine not to love right, any... exactly. It's, like you, it's fine not to love every single one of your significant other's friends and not want to hang out right. with them for an entire week. And also, yeah, you guys were sorority sisters. How much... It, of a fun time is brad gonna have like don't y'all want to reminisce and like i don't know talk about people he doesn't know also there's just like right we i think we've talked about this before your partner can't be everything for you there's things that you have fun doing with friends that your exactly. partner wouldn't like and i just honestly see the lying of the business trip like i don't know you don't want and you don't want to tell your partner to their face like i think your friend is awful because it's like it doesn't yeah. matter because she's yeah. not my friend and I know that you have love for her and I don't want to because mm-hmm. you know when you offend someone's friend you kind of offend them a little bit you know yeah. what I mean so I don't really mind that and then honestly when Jane finds out and she sees like her opportunity to be like oh well he's having a little vacation this would be a great time to sneak in like 
my little vacation. I don't see anything wrong with that. No, me neither. And then, you know, they, 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 obviously the second he gets a hint that it might be something, like, this dude is just like, wow, you're lying to your wife. Right, he's like, yeah, he, like, runs home, and he's like, ah. (laughs) Anyway, so I just, and he checks in with her. He's like, do you think that this means that, you know, there's something we should talk about? And she's like, absolutely not. I wanted to do a spa. (laughs) I love them. In the episode, The Butterfly Effect Effect, we find out that Brad and Jane have ha- have a huge fight every year that the gang depends on to kick off spring. It's always over something mundane, like forgetting to get hot sauce, or in this year's case, leaving the porch doors open, and ends in Jane storming off to stay with Penny, who gets to be the one to give her relationship advice for once, and Brad storms off to take Max and Dave to an expensive restaurant. This year, Brad and Jane have noticed how much their friend group relies on them taking the time to blow off steam and spend individual attention on them, but since they don't seem to be getting into a fight, they decide to fake it. (laughs) That's a good alternative, yeah. This goes well at first, but while sneaking in a meeting at their apartment, they find their porch doors have been left open, and the apartment is freezing as a result. They both refuse responsibility, and to show the other that they're not even bothered by the cold anyway, they start taking their clothes off. (laughs) The rest of the gang finds them in their apartment, in their underwear, with the door still open, and they all resolve the fight together. Yeah, because they're not even cold. So. <laughs> that one was very funny to me. I think it's also just, like, they're both so competitive that they get into this point where they reach a certain level of, like, immaturity, where it's, like, it's honestly, that's not even a real fight. Like, that's kind of, like, funny. But yeah. you're, like, still angry, so you're, like, well, I'm not going to let it go, even though it's funny. Yeah. It's like I didn't leave the fucking doors open. And the fact that you're refusing to admit that you did. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, the gang kind of gets together. Penny closes the doors and she's like, see, isn't that nice? You know, closed doors. We bring them together. Just like you need to come (laughs) together. I just. It's a metaphor. (laughs) This show is so funny. Okay, this part's not funny. And it actually. I was like, there's a point where you reach a certain level of, like, ridiculousness, and it's not even whimsical, because it's kind of, like, torturous, but it's like... (laughs) In the episode The Kirkovich Way, we find out something incredibly strange (laughs) and, dare I say, disturbing about Brad and Jean's relationship. In an attempt to cover up a hookup with her ex, Dave, Alex asks Jane for help, and Jane reveals that she has experience in not only gaslighting someone into thinking that something never happened, but also taking the physical steps to create a world in which it truly did not happen. That is, that, those are some skills. Masterful. She has been doing this to Brad for years, and when he expressed concern because it seemed to him as though his memory was failing, because huge chunks would be missing or, like, extra things would happen and he wouldn't know when or how, uh, she would encourage him to go to his doctor for help. He's had, like, four MRIs, and they never find anything. If you've never, if you, if you have seen the show, you know that it would take way too long to explain the full plot and the consequences of that episode, but if you've never seen the show, I encourage you to just watch that episode and watch yourself slowly go insane. (laughs) Yeah, the Kirkovich way. It's in, uh, season two. It's so good. It's, it's, if you watch it by yourself and you don't, you're not familiar with the rest of the show or the characters or the plot or the fact that it's a sitcom, it honestly feels more like a psychological horror short film. Because the, it's just, and also she has this monologue at the end 
that's very like you sit there in your ivory tower you know it's just so it's so dramatic where she's like you crave the reality that i have made for you it's and it's fine. just the, the writers just like watched black mirror right before they read this episode <laughs> honestly yes it was just so creepy and it was so even alex who was like in on it after a while was like this is insane dude oh man it's it's very funny but at the end of it, honestly, everything is revealed, and, like, Brad realizes that's been happening this whole time, and, uh, Dave is like, aren't you upset? And he's like, oh, I, no, but don't tell Jane, because she's doing, like, so many amazing things for me, because she feels so bad, so I, yeah, I'm still pissed! <laughs> nah, it's all fine. Like, it's very funny. The beginning of season three opens with revealing Brad had left his job and promised Jane that he would take the time off to find a job that he really enjoyed and find a work-life balance and work on hobbies that he's been pushing off for work. He agrees, but in the series premiere, we find out along with Jane that he had been lying to her about taking time off and found a job nearby that he could work at exactly during Jane's work hours and had been employed there for three weeks. She is understandably upset. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> But he apologizes, uh, but Jane leaves because she's pissed because that's weird. The next day they talk and Brad tells her he quit the job and will actually take time to work on himself and figure out his next steps and they make up, which I think is nice. I mean, yeah, she's both mad at him for not taking her advice, but also she's very much hiding a very large part of his life for three weeks from his wife. <laughs> yeah, but also like it's just frustrating when someone isn't doing what you know is best for themselves. And right. also it's nice that like she he actually accepted her positive influence and was like, "Okay, no, you're right. Like this is something that I have to um do." Yeah, and he demonstrated to her like what I did was wrong. So I'm doing what I can to rectify it. I can't go back in time and like tell you that I got a job, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just got rid of it. Yeah. In the episode to serve with love, to serve by the way, with a B, because um, the Kirkovich sisters are Serbian, and it's, like, a huge part of their identity, which I think is very cute. Especially, oh, my God, there's this episode where Jane and Alex are fighting, and it's, like, their biggest fight since, like, a huge one that they had as kids that made the news, like, and it turns out that when Jane and Alex fight, like, it's just, oh, it, it was actually really good. <sighs> Seriously, if anyone hasn't seen the show, I just, I can't get, it's, I can't tell you enough what an amazing show it is. Anyway, in the episode to Serb with Love, we find out that Jane has a strained relationship with her father, as he is never impressed, no matter what she does or accomplishes, and that he has never laughed at any joke she ever told. Oh. We also find out that Brad has a strained relationship with him for the same reason. That's rough. After Brad steals a joke that Jane had spent weeks creating specifically for her dad and makes him laugh with it, Jane has to resort to physical comedy and accidentally knocks herself out. Oh my god. She was smashing, if I recall, a giant watermelon with a giant hammer. But luckily, she's fine, and her dad laughed until he cried, so that seemed to all end well. Like, that was fine. And also, both of them made him laugh in that episode, so that's like a fun, fun episode with the Kirkovich dad. (laughs) In... The most important episode of this episode, of course. In the episode, She Got Game Night, Penny challenges Brad and Jane to a couple's game night with her and her fiancé, Pete. 
Jane and Brad, of course, agree, and when Penny and Pete arrive, they enter to see Brad and Jane in matching sweatsuits and doing a victory chant in unison. However, throughout the night, Brad and Jane keep losing the couple's games, with Brad feeling on questions like, what's Jane's favorite food? And Jane missing easy questions like, what's Brad's favorite color? <laughs> Pete and Penny quickly take the lead and end up winning all the games, and Jane storms off to the kitchen, exclaiming that her husband doesn't even know her and that they're a terrible couple. Penny follows her and apologizes for causing issues in Brad and Jane's marriage, but Jane tells her that there are no issues at all, and even though she's pissed that he's awful at these games, and she's yelling <laughs> this into the other room, <laughs> she knows that in her heart that he's the love of her life and the person she wants to be with forever. Penny panics and realizes that she doesn't feel that way about her fiancé, and Jane helps her through the realization. I think that's also a funny moment in... Brad and Jane, because, you know, they're playing, like, the newlywed game and all these kinds of things, where, like, if you've right. been with someone for 15 years, you start to forget, like, what you did on your first date and all this kind of stuff, whereas Pete and Penny have been together for six months. That stuff all just happened. Right, but also people change, and so, like, their favorite food we, when you married them or five years ago may not be the same as it is now. Exactly, and also, like, it is a very funny outburst from Jane because she is genuinely competitive, and she does <laughs> genuinely care about things like this, and she, <laughs> she, her outburst, actually, she is upset, and she is angry, and she is frustrated with Brad for, like, not knowing any but of this shit. frustrated not because it affects their marriage, but because they're exactly. losing. Exactly. <laughs> she does storm off into the other room and get mad. And but when Penny follows her, she's like still pissed and yelling about how shitty Brad is at these games. And Penny's like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry that like, you know, all this stuff and, and Jane's like confused. She's like, What? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's just I also love that they're so secure that like she can get fucking frustrated with him about a couple's game, you know? Right. She can get mad at him for lying to her about, like, working. And it's, like, fine. And they can work it out. And well, they're still going to be married. Right, you have that trust that you're, you'll be able to confront issues in a constructive way and that they won't just leave and that, you know, things will ultimately be okay. Exactly. And they're so secure with each other. Actually, something funny that I forgot to mention about, you know, when we meet Ryan is the reason that Ryan's coming over is because they have a rule where once a year um, they can have dinner with an ex-partner and their spouse can choose whether they want to be there or not. So it's kind of like this just like, here are our boundaries specifically surrounding past relationships. Like it's right. understood that those are like still special people to you and you shared special experiences with them. But here are the boundaries of our marriage and our current relationship that you actually care about. Right. I think that's a great example. And, you know, Brad chooses to be there, and he meets Ryan, and he ends up inviting one of his exes, Melissa, and it originally was a bit of an awkward situation because he was trying to make Jane as jealous as he was about Ryan, and it didn't work. <laughs> but um, Melissa and Ryan end up getting together, which is adorable. <laughs> they created something beautiful. It all works out. I just think that they're very... I think they're so... They're such a good example of, like, a, a couple with healthy boundaries with each other. Yeah. Definitely not with other people. They have horrible boundaries <laughs> with other people. <laughs> In the episode Deuce Baby Love 2, Electric Baby Deuce, Alex and Max realize that Brad and Jane are shutting them from a country club they're trying to join because they're embarrassed by them. So Alex and Max join and challenge them to a tennis match. 
Jane and Brad get overly competitive and end up being barred from the country club after their abusive performance and language during the game. That sounds right. <laughs> Jane broke a tennis racket over her knee. <laughs> well, how else are you going to intimidate the opponent? This is what I'm talking about with boundaries with other people. <laughs> they're, so, they're not great. <laughs> oh, man, I love them. They're so funny, though. Talk about a high-conflict couple. I don't know. It's like... A lot of the conflict doesn't seem to be between the two of them, and the conflicts that they do have, it's not like they're having repeated conflicts that they can't solve. It's like they are solving solvable issues as they come up. Yeah. They're, they're I will say, a, they're a very cohesive unit. Yeah. I love that about them. In one of the episodes when... Uh, Jane is, like, president of their apartment's homeowners association or something, or, like, their version of that. He's, like, living his, um, first lady, like, vibes life and talking about, like, all the perks of being married to, like, the president. Like, it's a very cute dynamic. Oh, there's also a time where she's, like, she takes this new job that's kind of a boys club, and so to fit in, she hears all of the guys, like, trash-talking their wives, and so she trash-talks Brad and he gets like very upset and she's like what all the i was trying to like be part of the boys club you know you know all guys sort of like you know trash on their wives and he's like i don't yeah and she's like you never like do locker room talk and he was like honestly i don't know what you think goes on in a locker room but i'm not <laughs> shitting on my wife and then he basically he was very sound about it where he like asked her to take a look at the marriages that she was like trying to mimic and you know yeah. use to be a part of that boys club and he was like do you see those as like happy healthy marriages that you want to our marriage to be like and of course the answer is no and she's like they make they work they they work on it and they make up and it's really cute but it's just like all these examples of them like running into these issues where as soon as they like talk about it and work it out and they like try very hard to see it from the other person's perspective you know there's never any like I don't know. There's defensiveness, but there's never like, oh, you're wrong, or like, you know, they listen right. to each other. They work yeah. together. They communicate well. So, because the show ended too soon, in the season three finale, and what ended up being the final episode of Happy Endings Ever, Jane is enlisted to plan her never before seen or heard of older <laughs> sister's wedding. <laughs> Alex and Jane's relationship with their older sister, Brooke, is much more distant as she's many years older than them and somewhat shares their father's cold nature. Jane stresses about the responsibility, and after Brooke applies too much pressure over minor things going wrong, Jane cracks and Brooke replaces her as wedding planner. Oof. Events come to a head when during the ceremony, some flowers are caught on fire by a nearby candle and it spreads to cards and pamphlets, and an aunt stands up and yells that they need to get Jane away from the smoke because it's bad for the baby. Everyone including Brad and Jane, are shocked. And Jane says she's not pregnant, but the aunt insists that she heard a Kirkovich sister in the bathroom talking about being pregnant. Another aunt stands and says that Alex is the pregnant one, but Alex denies it, and Brooke reveals that she is pregnant. The ceremony ends due to the fire, and they move on to the reception where Jane apologizes to Brooke and tells her she's always been intimidated by her. Brooke forgives Jane and tells her she felt a lot of pressure on her by their parents, but she loves her and that they will always be sisters. The series ends with Brad and Jane dancing with everyone at the end of the wedding. That's kind of like a, I mean, it really is unfortunate that the series ended then because it's kind of weird to introduce this new character who's pregnant, 
but we don't know her or care about her. So it's yeah. like... Uh... And it's like, I feel it. Like, they thought they had more time. I'm assuming... So every episode of Happy Endings ends with a wedding. And I'm thinking that this was a plan for a, a future season. Mm-hmm. And they just had to squish it onto the end of season three. Because a lot of things don't make sense with this ending. Yeah. It was just so sad. It's kind of a... It's like a... Like, it wasn't really an ending to the show, right? It was, like, it was anticlimactic. Siri just hung up on me. I think her phone died. That's why it was going wonky. Well, we'll see you all next week. We will probably, if we don't shove in How I Met Your Mother and Superstore. Oh, she's texting me now. Yep, it looks like we will be continuing next week. Oh, well. I love you, listeners. Bye-bye.